November 10th, 2021. Let's talk tonight, I entitled the class, Clothing of Truth. I want to talk a little bit about clothing at the beginning of the Torah and then later on in Parashat Toledot, this past week's parasha. Just first and foremost, there are two, there's more than two, but there are two general words that are used in the Torah, certainly in the words of the rabbis, and uh, even in the Hebrew today for clothing. One word is me'il, another word is beged. And each of those words, as Malbim points out in source number one, in Vayikra, pereke pasuk tetvav, but he's not the only, many point this out. Each of those words speak to the uh, nature of clothing and in turn what they embody, so to speak, uh, with regards to who we are when we act by those traits. What do I mean by that? The word lim'ol ma'al, that's really what he's going on those words, means to betray. God furthermore, means to betray, to be a traitor. And as a result, the word me'il and beged are a reference to a betrayal. What meets the eye is not what is actually in front of you. I've dressed properly, even though I might not be bringing my true self in front of you. I'm, I'm, I'm give, building a certain veil by pl- placing certain clothing upon myself. Uh, whatever the circumstance, I dress to fit the part or I dress to stand out of the part. Whatever it is, clothing by definition is our way of guising our true self. And as a result, me'il and beged are a very appropriate way of describing them when we then use those words for those verbs of betrayal, of being a tra- traitor. That's... How do you argue that You want to make the argument that clothing is the expression of yourself? You can, but ultimately speaking, the best way to portray yourself is with yourself. So by definition, by placing clothing upon yourself, you're changing something, because by definition, it's not the essence of yourself. You'll say to me, and you're quite right, that as human beings, and that's really your claim, if I want to express myself, well, just coming in front of anyone naked is not actually going to express it, I need some sort of artificial way of projecting that. That's true. But ultimately speaking, if I'm as close to reality as possible, I'm coming clean with a naked self. That's clothing, they build a certain barrier. Again, does that mean that clothing by definition are evil and deceptive? Not necessarily, as Joe says, not necessarily deceptive per se, not necessarily the act of betrayal, but in terms of their representation in the Torah, in terms of the representation in our collective consciousness, that's how we're to see clothing. In fact, clothing in their very discovery in the Torah, their very creation in the Torah, comes as a result of an act of betrayal, does it not? The end of Perek Bet and Bereshit in source number two describes how Adam and Hava were shenehem arumim ha'adam ve'ishto ve'lo yitboshashu, and they didn't have a busha, they had no... How we translate on the word busha? No vulnerability. The easy translation is embarrassment. The better translation in this context is maybe shame, but vulnerability. We like busha with vulnerability. Yes, no shame. Perfect. Irrespective of that, that's the description of the Pasuk. It's interesting, by the way, the word busha, yitboshashu, if you know the Aramaic translation for ra, the translation is bish. Right? Uh, to, to, it's a da'atovara, it's tav ubish. 
So it's almost as if they don't have any ra by being naked. It's of course a direct consequence of eating from etz hada'a that Adam and Hava discover their eyes are opened and we imagine because that's what the Nahash told them, your eyes, your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to understand the reality of life, tov and ra, you're going to be exposed to something greater and what are they exposed to? Their nakedness, what's their immediate reaction to their nakedness, to their realization of nakedness? Of course, they make for themselves hagorot, they make loincloth. Is that the right way of translating that? They use ale te'ena, some sort of leaf or leaves from a te'ena tree, from a fig tree, in order to make for themselves loincloth so they cover their private parts. The pasuk says later on, several pasukim later, right? That's if we're just structuring everything. The end of Perek Be, that pasuk we began with, in their nakedness is kind of their placement in the garden that ends that segment. The beginning of Perek Gimal, right after that is the Nahash, which is Arum, of course, pun intended, although it means over there that he was sly and kind. It's the same word, arum. He's going to expose to them, so to speak, their nakedness. And he starts talking to Hava. Hava talks to, or doesn't talk to, hands off to Adam. And then their eyes are open. That's the sequence of events. Then the arus are pronounced upon them, all their punishments. And ultimately speaking, the pasuk says, Vaya'as pasuk kaf aleph here at the end of source number three. There it is, Jack. Vaya'as Adonai Elohim le'adam u'ishto. Kotnot or vayal bishem, God crafts for Adam and Hava not just a loincloth which they already had from the hagorot which were made of aleteina, but kotnot or He makes for them clothing or tunics which are made of or. What's or? Leather. Well, that's the description. Well, again, just in the most basic sense, already just orienting ourselves with clothing in the Torah. First appearance of clothing in the Torah, very appropriately, based on what we read in Malbim in the first source, based on what you'll hear anyone and everyone in a derasha say, clothing represents the ability to be a traitor, to betray someone, to deceive them. Well, that's what takes place over here. We turn away from God. In our words, we mix up our understanding of being a mekabel, as opposed to a noten, if you recall that class. We do, we, we're not able to appreciate our dependency upon God. We think independently. As a result, we build that barrier between ourselves and Him, and it's represented by the physical construction, construction what's doing, Norman, and craftsmanship of clothing. Just to be noted already, there's an interesting shift from the clothing that we, meaning Adam and Hava craft for themselves, and the clothing that God crafts for them. This was pointed out to me a couple of weeks ago by Jack Scaba. He says that by the ale te'ena of Adam and Hava, that's representative of clothing in the gan. The clothing on your way out of the gan, as God is banishing you, is made of or, of an animal. That's a major difference. And if you remember, if you have your, your mindful cap of what takes place in Bereshit, certainly in, in Parashat Bereshit, it's the, it's the direction from working the ground, which we have in the gan, which is the ability to have the ability to perceive truth, to find truth through the ground, which we fail at and are ultimately sent outward at which point we need to 
search for truth elsewhere. God tells us, the ground is no longer going to be easy to work. As a result, as we discussed, Hevel kind of takes up the right the right uh, career, he has the right career choice. What does he become? A ru'ayson. A ru'ayson is an individual who realizes a dependency upon others. As a result, as God sends them out, he says that maybe it's time to stop thinking about crafting the clothing from the ground, moving you away from that, and now you should start crafting it from animals. Animals is the world of, as we described it, tov and ra. It's the words of God to Cain after, or right before he's about to kill Hevel. He says, you want to know why? My words. You want to know why I didn't accept your korban, your minha? Because halo'im tetiv se'et. You might recall, we talked about this in a class earlier. Says God to Cain, I want you to do tov. I want you to stop focusing on the ground. When you work on the ground, you touch on truth in too much of an absolute sense. You're working the ground, you're going directly to the source of matters, you find yourself sometimes in that process instead of realizing you're dependent upon another. When you build, yes, an artificial barrier, but you understand, I'm dependent upon another. I'm running after those animals. I'm realizing a healthy sense of vulnerability. That's a world of tov and ra. That's humanity. We have relationships. We're dependent upon one another. We have compassion and sympathy and hopefully empathy for one another. As a result, that's the life I need you to live. Leaving the guy means leaving the life of emet and sheker and enveloping yourself in a world of tov and ra. That's designated already by the clothing. Whereas theirs was made out of ground, out of the leaves of the tree, the clothing of God, ironically, is made from animal. That's to be noted already. But I do ask you, and, and I mean this, although it sounds funny, I want to understand this clothing. Is clothing, and I don't mean this in a literal sense in the world that we live in, but I want to know in an ideal world, in a Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai world, if you will, is it a world in which, quote unquote, nakedness is the ideal? After all, that's the way we begin. We're then banished from the Gan, and the first thing we realize is our nakedness, which means clothing is the product of sin. It's the product of betrayal, of deception. Perception. Perhaps clothing is inappropriate then. We should shield ourselves from clothing. We shouldn't be involved too much. And again, I don't mean this in the practical sense. I love clothing as much as I think any of you. I might not afford it as nicely as you, but I enjoy clothing. And I'm not turning away from, well, you'll see from the punchline, I think that you should. But in this context, initially, I don't mean for any at all in the literal sense, but I mean conceptually. Is clothing then... So to speak, if I lived the ideal life in this world, I began a nudist colony. Is that what the Torah is telling me? After all, clothing is the product of sin. Clothing is the act of me'ilah, of bigidah. Maybe clothing is inappropriate. You'd be surprised, perhaps, to note in source number four, just first and foremost, source number four, I've been, before we even read source number four, let me remind you that God crafts the clothing for Adam and Hava. Well, what does that mean? If I shouldn't be wearing the clothing, why does he craft it for them? Furthermore, he crafts it for them from animals. This is not the direction I thought we should be going in. In Pirkei Dirbili Ezer, which is a collection of Midrashim of sorts, but it goes back a long way. Harambam was very, very careful with his reading of Pirkei Dirbili Ezer, as we mentioned in previous works, uh, weeks. Here in Perekaf, it says, Rabbi Yoshua ben Korcha Omer, 
the initial clothing, the hagorot, the loincloth that Adam and Chava made, where did they make their clothing from? Min ha'ilan sham tahtav la'kualim v'tafru. It was the tree that they were hiding in. That was etz te'ena, it was a fig tree. And they make the clothing from that. Not my issue right now. What about the clothing which was made by God upon their banishment? It says the next opinion here, Bili Ez ben Yaakov Omer, min ha'or shehifshit ha'nahash, asah kadosh baruchu kotnot Abod le'adam u'le'ezro. Listen to the words again. God crafted for Adam and Chava, according to this Midrash. Now the Midrash is not meant to be taken literally. As a matter of fact, in Midrash Rabbah, there's a long list of possibilities what that clothing was made of. Each one needs to be learned independently and understand, understood what do the rabbis mean by this. They're not talking historically. They're describing a reality. But listen to this opinion. The clothing was made from the skin of the Nahash, which was shedded. I mean, that is, that is disgusting. Can you imagine? The Nahash is the embodiment of sin. The Nahash is the embodiment of the wrong arum. The Nahash is the embodiment of bringing us to Tov and Ra. That's the clothing with which we are sent off. I would imagine that the suspense is, is building in terms of realizing and perhaps imagining we shouldn't be wearing clothing. Clothing is terrible. The initial clothing God sends them out with, they should have ripped it off of themselves. They were wearing the Nahash's skin. How terrible, by the way. Parenthetically, it does explain this midrash. It does explain that we're only permitted to kill kill animals at the end of uh, Parashat Noah after the Mabul. So it makes sense then that God was playing that role as well. He wouldn't kill animals either. He's not going to. But it's not as in other words, he didn't kill the Nahash. Nahash shed its skin, and in turn, he gives them that as opposed to killing an animal, which is probably the literal sense of the pasuk, irrespective of that. Again. All I'm doing is leading you along in terms of our understanding of clothing. And clothing in the Bereshit scene, clothing appears to be the worst thing you could come to. And that's that statement in the Midrash. It's the clothing of the Nahash. It's the clothing of sin. And yet, and here's the punchline of the entire class, sources five and six suggest the following. First, Tanhuma Yashan Toledot, our Past week's parasha, parasha Yod Bet, Ubame Yisrael Mechabedin et Shabbat. With what do we uh, fulfill the Chibadeto Measot Rachecham? So Hefsechavida Berdavar, Chibadeto, Kabod Shabbat. Rambam calls it a mitzvah midivre nevi'im. How do you fulfill this mitzvah of kabod? B'ma'achal, of course, with good food. U'bemishter, with drink, uh, proper drinks. U'biksut nikiyan, with clean clothing. All right, the first two, and the Midrash seems to accept as self-explanatory. You enjoy yourself, you have kabod with food. Who said with clothing? The Midrash almost unnecessarily says, you want to know why you wear nice clothing on Shabbat? Because that's what God did to us, really. God crafted for us those tunics made of leather and gave them to us. That's what we wear in moments of honor. That's the embodiment of kabod, clothing? I thought clothing is what we're running from. I thought Shabbat is me'in olam haba, it's the way to Gan Eden. That's the place you're wearing clothing? Furthermore, continues the Midrash, what type of clothing were these made out of, of, out of skin? The Midrash continues, it's the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. Adam Kivyachol was the firstborn of the world, and later those who were going to work in the Mishkan were the firstborns, and they were going to wear special clothing. The Midrash calls our attention in the context of the first set of clothing which God crafts for Adam and Chava to 
two important mentions of clothing afterwards. Number one, Shabbat. Number two, the Mishkan. Now, you might say, it's just a cute midrash. If you've been sensitive to our classes in the past, you'll know the following. And I'll pause for a moment to just collect our bearings for just a moment. Again, what have we discussed and developed thus far? Quite simply, a description of clothing seemingly embodying the wrongful activities of humanity. A description of clothing, according to the rabbis, as having been crafted initially from the skin of the Nahash. You can throw up listening to those words. Disgusting. It's disgusting even though, maybe not, I I don't know if you guys like uh, snake skin or something. It's disgusting in and of itself, but the embodiment of sin, of the source of sin. And yet, then the Midrash has the audacity to suggest that the clothing we wear on Shabbat, the clothing they wore in the Mishkan, is in some way representative of that historical clothing of Adam and Hava. Move us away from it, would you? Instead, the Midrash very proudly presents it that way. The Midrash in Bimidbar Rabbah, which we'll return to, has a similar statement, skipping the part about Shabbat, but focusing on the Kohen Gadol. Now, what do I mean by this should take us by a particular uh, surprise? It goes like this. In previous classes, we did the following. We noticed that in the Gan, as source number seven says, what Adam and Hava were purposed to do was le'ovda ud-shomra. They're supposed to do avodah. How do we translate that? Toiling, working, and shemirah, safeguarding of some sort. But those are the descriptions of what they're supposed to do in the Gan. And then we reflected, we took this panoramic view, this broader vision of the Torah. Now, other places in the Torah where those words are used close to one another. Can you guess, if you don't remember, the two places in the Torah, to my mind, where they're used? One in the Mishkan and the other with... Shabbat, of course. Can you imagine everything is off-kilter right now? Because if clothing represents the aftermath of avodah u'shmirah ba'gan, so then clothing should be everything but Shabbat and Mishkan. It's the places where you shouldn't be wearing clothing. If you're tapping into, in our words, emet and sheker on Shabbat, and in the Mishkan, those are the realms, those are the domains where you move the clothing aside. Such human stuff here. We come clean with God. We talked about it emet and sheikh in the context of time on Shabbat and place with the Mishkan. That's the way we described this in the past. Go ahead. No. You're assuming, you're making the assumption that before that, Right. Right. Well, I mean, it's not much of an assumption, as, uh, uh, but rather, I will fine-tune your comment. I'm leading you into such a comment, but I will disagree with you that in the initial stage, they're not supposed to be wearing clothing. What brings the nahash? What brings the nahash? Yeah. What does that mean? What brings the nahash? I, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with your Midrash. I understand the Nahash as being an inclination which is external to humanity at that time. What, what does he notice that makes him happy? The nakedness of Hava. I mean, it's, it's, I assume. That's, okay, that's, that, that's okay with me. Fantastic. What you're arguing, though, listen to the words, again, is that clothing, which is the embodiment of sin, that's the way the Torah seems, because they're crafted only afterwards. You accepted the words of me'ilah and begidah in the context of clothing. You accepted, unless you didn't, that psychologically I deceive you with my clothing, that siniyut has a way of deceiving, and yet, 
and yet, I understand, and yet there's an appropriateness to it. So we're going to end in a very similar place. I'm just not going to have it as early back as you had it. In other words, it's not so much a leap, it's just a different direction. Because I make, it, it sounds like a leap at this point until I, until I turn it backward. But again, so Avodan Shemira you have in the, in the Gan, and you have it by, in source number 8, by Shabbat, this should say Devarim Perekeh, not Shemot in source number eight. It's in Parashat Vayet Hanan, Shamoret Yom HaShabbat Lekadesho, Kashesh Vichad Unai Lohecha, Sheshet Yamim Ta'avod Ve'asita Kom Of course, the Pasuk describing the six days of work in the context of Shabbat is telling you the Avodah of the week is in some way, I mean, can be and has been determined how so, with the Shabbat, the resting of Shabbat, that contrast of working during the week and stopping on Shabbat, the ability to have Shabbat course through my week, Avodah and Shemirah in the context of Shabbat of six days and seventh day, is very much a description of our ability within this world to peer, peer down that derech etz haim, as we mentioned in earlier classes. And of course, by the Mishkan, as Joe mentioned, at the beginning of Sefer B'midbar, in source number nine, but yeah, but in many places, just look at the bolded words. How many times? So you have the word shemiran avodah throughout. And again, the description we had of the Mishkan and of Shabbat were within this chaotic, human-like world that we, in, that we live in. It's our opportunity to kind of get a structure, to get a clear lenses. So when you tap into Shabbat, which is kind of pushing away real life, it's your ability to, to clear your mind and see truth for what it is. When you're able to step into the Mishkan and have true and absolute service of God and worship of God over there, you kind of move away all our human tendencies and relationships that take place in, quote, real life. And that's the Avodah and Shemirah of the Mishkan and of Shabbat. Again, in my opinion, certainly by the simple interpretation of the simple reading of the text, it's not the places I would envision clothing being an important facet. And yet the Midrash says not only is it an important facet, as we know already, uh, it's, it's, it der- derives directly from the initial clothing in the Gan. The Gemara in Masechet Berachot, which we discussed and discussed and mentioned and highlighted, the Gemara Yandaf Nunchet has this description. Listen to, after banishment from the Gan, all the things that Adam Harishon needed to do, Kivyachol. What did he need to do? Harash, Vezara, Vekasar, Veamar, Vedash, Vezara, Birer, Vetahan, Verkid, Velash, Veafa, which of course are the Melachot of Shabbat. What did he need to do in order to craft? clothing for himself. He needed to be gozez, melaben, menapetz, toveh, oreg. These are melachot of Shabbat, which means that the gan is the place where those melachot are, so to speak, unnecessary, where you have the clear vision. And in turn, the preparation for the mishkan is, you put all that in, and then you have the embodiment of the mishkan, and Shabbat is the time when you step back from them. There's a perfect synthesis between the gan and the mishkan and Shabbat in the eyes of the rabbis in the words of the Torah. The gan, Shabbat, and the mishkan are our opportunities within this world. We mentioned as well, of course, when you study Torah in a very objective fashion, which is 
pretty pretty difficult to do, but Torah Lishma as well is tapping into emet and shaker in this world. It's for that reason that we mentioned as well that the pasuk says in Bereshit that they hear after eating from the tree kol Adonai Elohim mitalech betoch hagan, and Rashi calls attention to this in Parashat bechukotai that the pasuk says vehitalachti betochechem vehayiti lachem leLohim vehatemti yuli leAm. What does it mean that I'm going to walk amongst you? What does it mean I'm going to be in your midst walking? It brings us back to the gan, of course, but the Pasuk right beforehand says, Venatati Mishkani Betochechem. Says Rashi, what's Venatati Mishkani Betochechem? That's the Beta Mikdash. Of course, it's the Beta Mikdash. If you're returning to Gan Eden within this world and, so to speak, walking with or hearing the walking of God, you're in the Mishkan. That's the place. Though that is the physical location wherein you tap into emet and sheker. If you need a uh, some sort of vision of that in our own lives, it's a synagogue. It's an opportunity within a prayer group to truly tap in without all the other nonsense to emet and sheker. Directly zoned in and uh, concentrating on worship of God and unadulterated, without any other emphases, emphasis uh, or, or, or or distractions. That is emet and sheker worship. That's the Mishkan. And that is Shabbat, if done right as well. Lastly, along these lines, which we mentioned already, that same Midrash in Pirkei Derubili Ezer suggests that after Adam was banished from the Gan, where did God send him to? On that Derechetz Hayim, or, or turning back to see Derechetz Hayim, he finds his way to Haramoriah, of course. Haramoriah being the future place of the Mikdash. It's got to be. You're being thrown from the Gan into the real world where you can find Emet and Shekhar in this real world. Where's that? In the Mikdash. And I will conclude this point, again, capping in my mind the question, with the fact that the Pasuk says in Parashat Kedoshim, et shebetotai tishmoru umikdashi tirau ani Adonai. For some reason, the Pasuk associates Shabbat and Mikdash with one another. What do they have to do with one another? Say the rabbis, it tells you that you can't build the Mikdash on Shabbat. What does that mean? Why can't you build the Mikdash on Shabbat? Why would the Pasuk go out of its way? Of course, the Mikdash is the embodiment of the realm of Emet and Sheker you're building, but you're on Shabbat. You're already in the time of Emet and Sheker. There's no necessity, there's no permissibility of building it when you're already. You want to get there, I get that, but you're right now there in terms of time. But piecing this all together, just taking that step forward to take a step, two steps backward, it goes like this. We're envisioning, at least I am, a, 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 an understanding of clothing in the Torah, of Eloyit Boshashu. There is no Ra. The word Bish again is Ra. Imagine if I imagine that's that's a association over there. Without wearing clothing, we're in this world of no Ra. We're in this world of Emet and Sheker. We then have a temptation of one or another, which we've discussed and should discuss again and again, to make our way out of this gun. That's where we want to be. The immediate realization and, and, and craftsmanship and creativity in that moment is clothing. Clothing then not can be looked at very positively, it appears. And yet, the Midrash links up the clothing directly. The Midrash Tanhuma of the Mishkan and of Shabbat with the clothing post-gan. But I thought those were the nice places. Those were our safe spaces in life. That's not the places of clothing, unless the message is like this. Unless the message is that in a post-gan world, 
in life as we know it. It's true, you will and do have opportunities to peer into, to live emet and sheker. When you're praying, when you're studying Torah, when you're involved with the Mishkan, when you're Shomer Shabbat, each of those are opportunities to tap into emet and sheker. But even in those circumstances, if you disassociate your own human tendencies with your approach of God, well, then you're missing the opportunity to actually find the met and shaker because then you're dealing with something that lies outside of this world. And as the Midrash we discussed in the past calls, us, calls attention to the Pasuk, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is mashlich emet arsa. He throws truth down to human beings. Human beings now within the context and constructs of our life, we find truth. And if you're thinking about an abstract truth, a truth of the angels or of God that has no association to you, quote unquote, that doesn't have clothing on it, then you're not truly finding emet. It might be emet for angels. It might even, quote unquote, be emet for God. But guess what? It's not emet for you. So if you're going to live a life disassociated from people, running from human tendencies, instead of envisioning a way to, within those tendencies, find truth, to use sympathy, empathy, relationships with one another, with yourself, with God. If it's through that, that's how you find them at the Sheker, within this world. Yes, Jack? Just that's very creative. Okay, all right, all right, but hang on. All right, before that, he's just pointing out that we read the passage in, in, in Minha of the Arayot. Of course, you have a close affiliation with, with that Aliyah, we're aware. It's, it's either going to be Yona or that, but, right? And uh, he says it's, it's about Giluya Irva, and Giluya Irva isn't that quote unquote the most appropriate thing for Kippur? Don't you want to be naked on Kippur? Quote unquote. Of course not. There's a nakedness which is inappropriate. Very poetic, Jack. No, you're not. That's the point. That is exactly the point. That is exactly the point. That's it, Ralph. That's exactly the point. That is exactly the point. The Kohen is a Kohen who is seeking and searching in the most pristine and distilled atmosphere of Emet and Sheker with clothing and only with clothing. Is what God tells us at the end of Parashat Yitro with regards to the Mizbeach, the Mizbeach Adama Ta'aseli. That's the point. I'll now, before we go onward in the sources, I'll again repeat to you, because it's the direction we're going to go in over here, the concept that we've discussed in this class, in other classes, with regards to Torah Shabal Peh. Torah Shabal Peh, this oral tradition of Torah, should be, if you're an outsider, should be heretical. You're now going to find a relevancy to your own life, 
to a God-given and godly law system and, 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 and tradition and words which are transmitted from the word of God to you, the audacity, how could you do so? And the truth is, there is an audacity, but there's a mandated audacity because if you leave the Torah as Torah ta'elokim, if you leave the Torah as Torah ta'malachim, if you recall that midrash in Masechet Shabbat, if the angels were to receive the Torah, well, then it has no association to us. It's by our own understanding as mekabelim, as the moons who radiate the sun. That's who we are after all. It's through that and only through that that we perceive truth. If you're given an angelic, godly document which has no association, no relevancy to you, so then you're given, as Ramban writes in his introduction to the Torah, a document which just has a lot of letters which are a string of shemot of what sense does that have? What does it mean that the Torah, from the Beit Bereshit to the Lamed of Israel, meaning all of it, is just one long names of God? The answer is, to us, it is meaningless. So what is meaningful? When we break up that Torah, when we give interpretations to the crowns on top of the letters, and by so doing, when we find the relevancy, we, in truth, are not running from the meaning of the text, but we're arriving at a true meaning of the text. What's that? If I uncover something that's right, no. So Very nice. But you are revealing you could not have had that understanding had you not had Torah Shabbat. In other words, if you just had Shemotav Shalai Kadosh Baruch Hu, you have no understanding. It's through breaking those letters up and turning them into words. It's through interpreting the Torah through the prism of life as we have it, through the clothing that we wear, that it now has a revelation to you, which of course was laying there in front of you, but was was blinding you. It was in, in plain sight. You had no vision of it. You could not understand it had it not been relevant to you. I bring you to your own insight, Ralph, on this point. The Gemara that we mentioned, a different Gemara, the Gemara in Masechet Menachot, we keep coming back to this, but for good reason, the Gemara in Masechet Menachot and Daf Kaftet, with Moshe Rabbeinu going and watching the classroom of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, of course, being, and well, we'll pause to talk about him in a little bit, being the individual with, through whom we envision the future and history of Torah He is the guy. Why so? His students, of course, were the individuals with whom we attribute many of our most classic Torah Baal texts, the, uh, the authors and the editors of many of our Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin. Rabbi Akiva is in the midst of being Doresh in this class and Moshe Rabbeinu has no idea what he's talking about until the response to his student's question of where'd you get that from was Halachal Moshe Misinai, at which point Moshe is calmed. What type of statement is that? Rabbi Akiva is stating things about which Moshe has no idea what he's saying. And yet the response is, Moshe so Moshe is calmed. That's the same point. You taught me this, Ralph. That's the same point that we are mentioning over here. The point goes as follows. The Torah is given from Moshe. The Torah of God, to me, you, and Rabbi Akiva alike, has no meaning. It's only when we find a relevancy to ourselves. It's only when we read it through human lenses that we then are able to turn backwards and say, well, that's halachal Moshe Misinai. Had it just been halachal Moshe Misinai without a relevancy to us, well, then it would be a meaningless text. Of course, it would have divinity. Of course, it would be filled with potential, but it's nothing. It's nothing to me and you. We can't understand anything that's written in it. That is the ability and that's the responsibility of human beings post-Gan'id. But, but I'm not 
That is emet through tov. Through tov means through human understanding. The best way I can describe it to you is as follows. The raw and unadulterated emet is meaningless strings of letters. Tovavo is the closest you'll come to emet. When you pull it out, you have made audits. You've made land for human beings. How disgusting. The audacity. You took God out of it. No, I injected God. The white noise, like they're saying, and you're saying the tov part. So what am I uncovering? Emet. So when I, I'm involved in tov, I'm uncovering emet. That's right. Six right. weeks. Six right. weeks on this. But we're getting there. You said the words. That's right. It's an ironic move away, which brings you to. That's right. Separation, which brings you back to unity, indeed. I will now, I'll cap this off with this past week's parasha, and I've said this, and you know, we're piecing together points I've made, and bringing them together, the pasuk describes how Rivka takes Bigde'isav benahagadol ha-hamudot. What is that word, ha-hamudot? We know the story, of course, in order to dress up Yaakov so that he appears or feels like or even smells like Isav, she puts these clothing, ha-hamudot. Now that word, ha-hamudot, not a simple word to translate. Rashi has two, two interpretations. His second is, tavar acher shehamad otan min nimrod, like lo tahmod in don't covet. So to speak, these were seized. Of course, there's a... Ch- there's a debate, not for now. Lo tahmod, lo tahmod. My daughter actually has struggled with this. She, when she learned this in, in school, so she came home hysterically crying. She said, I'm jealous of people all the time. I go against one of the Ten Commandments every single second of my life. At which point I had to teach her, Ibn Ezra, the Mefarshim actually debated this, bam, whether lo tahmod is actually just the coveting, just the wanting, or it's actually them going out and doing it with the action. Otherwise, it's perhaps not a transgression. Well, that being the case, I just mentioned that in this context. Shahamadotan min Nimrod means, of course, that Isav actually took them from Nimrod. I don't know what's going on over here. Nimrod? Nimrod, I remember from Parashat Noah. Who's Nimrod? Well, Nimrod we know about. You'll see him in source number 19. Not the whole story of him, but in Bereshit Perek Yod, the end of Parashat Noah. Ve'kush yaladet Nimrod, hu hecheli yod gibor ba'aretz. I'm skipping on purpose, source number 19 for a second. Hu haya gibor sa'id. Lifnei Adonai al-ken ya'amer. Ye'amar, excuse me, Kenimrod gibor sa'id lifnei Adonai. Nimrod was a gibor sa'id. Pesukim go on to describe how he pretty much conquers what was the entire world at that time. And of course, as a result of his conquest, he establishes a place called Bavel, right? Well, ultimately called Bavel, according to the Torah. That's the Nimrod figure. Nimrod is this individual who is a warrior who conquers the world, and he's known as a gibor sa'id. Of course, gibor sa'id, we know that word sa'id from Parashat Toledot, from source number 19, who was Esav, if not, and Ish Yodea Said Ish Sadeh. So now piecing that all together, before we even understand what this clothing business is, well, that's what Rashi, that's what the Midrash that Rashi is citing is coming from. We're associating Nimrod with Isav because the Torah uses that word Said, which shouldn't be translated simply as trapping, but rather as conquering. That's what it meant by Nimrod. Rabbi David Aliyah Alav HaShalom pointed that out to me. All right, so that's what the Said is over here. We're associating it to Nimrod. Okay.
does it have to do with clothing? Well, that brings us back to that midrash I told you we would come back to in source number seven. Source number seven has this long story and hard to understand description unless we contextualize it with the rest of this class, with the rest of the understanding of this clothing in the Torah, in which it describes how that clothing, which was crafted by God for Adam, was then handed over to his son, to Sheet, and Sheet to Noah, and Noah to Shem, and so on and so forth, until it makes its way into the hands of Esav. That's big there, Esav HaHamudot. They stopped off at Nimrod along the way, the clothing of Adam HaRishon, and ultimately speaking, makes its way to Esav. Esav was the firstborn, generally speaking, was the firstborn who had that clothing. Fascinating description. This clothing, had I asked you this question at the beginning of the class, I would hope you'd say it's disgusting clothing. It's Adam HaRishon's clothing. To make it more disgusting, it's snake hide, or snake skin if we take Pirkei Derbiliezer literally, which we shouldn't. But disgusting clothing, sinful clothing, why? Who wants that clothing? Isav, of course, let him have it. Nimrod, Migdal Bavil, let them have it. And yet, I mean, I could be embarrassed about this. This is the clothing which Yaakov, the man of Emet, Yaakov, the man of uh, Pirsuf of Adam Harishon, according to the Kabbalists, he's the one who's going to proudly wear that clothing. He'll enter into his father's room, and Rashi, again, picking up on the words of Yitzhak, as Yitzhak says to, uh, well, doesn't say, when Yitzhak smells the clothing, Pasuk says that he says, My son, I smell, or I see and smell, whatever, you know, written Devar Torah. I smell in him clothing which smells like the field which was blessed by God, says Rashi, the clothing had the smell of Gan Eden, but they were disgusting. They were hide of, an, of a snake, smelled like Gan Eden. I'm getting utterly confused. This clothing is of Gan Eden? It's nice to say after the fact, Yaakov gets the Beracha, and as a result, future is all beautiful, but what's with the clothing that's terrible? I'll go further. Yitzhak says to Esav, in order to get this beracha, I want you to go out in source number 20, Sudali Said. I want you to do that Said thing. I want you to tap into the way of Nimrod. How terrible. That's what I'm going to give you a beracha? Through the way of Nimrod? Through conquest? In my words? Through Tov and Ra? Come into the room, let's learn a shtukl gemara together. Let's have a rendezvous in the spiritual realm. Maybe we'll learn an otzrot haim or something like that. It's going to be through conquering? It's going to be through killing an animal? That's how you're going to get the beracha from me? But it's all the same thing. It's all the same point. What the hachamim are envisioning and seeing in this command of Yitzhak, what they're imagining with this clothing is again beracha, the source of emet from Yitzhak, transmitted from Abraham, and now through to Yaakov will only be found through a conquest of Tov and Ra. It'll need your own passion, your own human tendencies and capabilities, your ability to conquer the world. Go out and do that. Through doing so, you'll find it in Shekhar. But why should I do so? I'll stay in this garden. I'll just do Avodah and Shemirah, just right over here. I don't need to leave. I'll stay in my room right here and I'll pray to God all day and all night and I'll study Torah and I'll even be Shomer Shabbat throughout the week. Chalas, can't I fulfill it like that? Of course you can't, says the Torah and Parashat Toledot through the vision of the rabbis. You need to wear the clothing of Nimrod, disgusting. The clothing of Adam HaRishon, after sin, disgusting. Maybe not so disgusting. Maybe that's our new reality. Maybe that's the true reality. 
Maybe that's what it means to be a human being. To be a human being means to embrace our humanity. But through the humanity, as it appears as if we're running from truth, because we're seeing the world with that audacious, personal, humanistic vision, or human-like vision, but that's how you're going to find truth. That's what Esav was doing. So where did he go wrong? Where did Esav go wrong? Apparently Esav was not on this mission toward, uh, you know, Emet. Take it away from him? It's an important question. That's why he's not Excuse me? He wants to do it on his own, which is why he doesn't wear the clothing. He wants it by his own hand, not to do Very nice. It's the same thing with Pedro. What makes him real good? Because he's just, the clothing made him disgust like he ran in the beginning. The clothing made him kill animals because they were brought right up to him. So he, so he was the phony. He knew he wasn't the people. I got it. What I want to know is, Ralph, when all the dust settles yeah. and Yaakov is wearing the clothing, is that a source of embarrassment or something we should take pride in? Ganeden. Why is that Ganeden? I thought the clothing is after the gun. How did the clothing get into the gun? The Torah told me it's after the gun. The Torah told me it's after Sir. It's, it's inside the gun and it's upon banishment. Immediately thereafter we have Arur. Why is that clothing? I'm aware. That dispute, which has run through all of these classes, is this point. Is the clothing to be remembered as something? I mean, for some reason, you've brought the clothing into the gun and they should have had it from the beginning. That's what, that's what you're suggesting. I'm suggesting, yes. That's why they bring the Nachash before instead of Right, and Nimrod is supposed to be wearing that clothing as well. And we're proud of that clothing of Nimrod. Nimrod's supposed to be wearing, but Nimrod gets the clothing. So why are they wearing the clothing in Nimrod? So he's suggesting... They didn't have a sense of awareness of a sense of self. I should have come prepared for this. I didn't realize that was your vision. Listen, it's, that's not the Midrash. I know the source. I don't need them. I know them. Thankfully, Ralph, I know them. But that description, you don't need to be wearing clothing to have a respectful and, 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 and clandestine sexual relation. Siniyut. That, that could be, but yes. that need not be manifested through clothing, even in your Midrash world. In other words, I don't need to, sexuality is by definition going to be unclothed, but I have two options. I can do it unclothed and out in the open, or I can alternatively hide a little as I do so. That Midrash is not describing that they should have been wearing clothing. It's not what they find the source on that. The Midrash says the Nahash sees it and it's overly exposed. That doesn't mean that they, were, that they were supposed to be wearing clothing. If anything, they could have put on hagorot and that would have been sufficient. The kotnot or is the issue we're having over here. The hagorot is the gan type of clothing, and I'm with you on that. The hagorot is the loincloth where you're covering the private parts. But the kotnot or? What do you need the kotnot or? Yeah, all right. Yes. Because it's, it's one and the same. Covering up is a sense of modesty. Beyond that, the clothing of Kotnot Or is above and beyond. That's the clothing of post sin. Was not that considered one of the greatest gifts he gave it? I don't know. Okay. Well, I know that Gemar, I know the Gemar al I'm explaining it as post sin. There's clothing for them. Ben Hashem on Erev Shabbat, if that Midrash is envisioning it the way the Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin has the order, the sequence of events, it means after sin, he makes for them clothing. Of course, it's the greatest gift. When I send you out into the real world, I got to give you that gift. Yes, Ed.
It's the whole point, Dave. Right, right, right. Once, oh, he's, oh, I gotcha. So Ralph's response to that will be, you guys messed this up. You couldn't find the Kotnot Or on your own. Why did you waste that He's saying he wanted them to figure it out or not. I don't know. I don't know. You're right. He has to defend himself. Again, Abe's just asking you if that were the case, why didn't he give them clothing to begin with? Okay, regardless, I will conclude the class with the following. I'll conclude the class with two, with two traditions from Arizal, with which I think you'll be able to piece everything together. Arizal notices, as reported by his students in several places, in two, well, many places, but Arizal, in our two circumstances, sees the seeds, the zira'im of Torah Baal Peh. First, he sees it in Migdal Bavil. Makes a lot of sense. The words are beautiful. Bavil, of course, is Talmud Bavli. But what's it got to do with Torah Baal Peh? Come on. I mean, that's a stretch. It sounds like a Hasidic uh, vart or something like that. That's Arizal's words, that you find the seeds of Shoresh or the, the roots of Torah Peh at Migdal Bavil. Really? Because they're different languages? Because it's confusing? Oh, that's the one statement. The second statement I want to call your attention to, I mentioned it on Shabbat, it's in Piri, it's Hayim, in source number 24. It's cited, from Hayim Vital, from his rabbi as well, that the, that the Kisayid Befiv of Esav is as well Torah Peh. Torah Peh from Esav. What are you saying about Torah Shabal It appears if Torah Shabal is to be rooted in Migdal Bavel and in Esav, we should be running from it. Maybe we should just be learning Torah Shabal in its royest sense. Or alternatively, it's the same point again. The source of Torah Shabal which is audacious, which does appear to be a race away from God, which does appear to be looking inwardly and seeing the world through my own lenses, well, that is the source of Torah Shabal because that is Torah Shabal Peh. Torah Shabal Peh means I take Torah, I take that emet in Sheker, and I search for it within the confines and the constructs and, and constrictions of my own life, within my own ways, my own tendencies, my own relations, my own uh, emotions. That's how I'm going to find it. And as a result, Migdal Bavel, that's right. Migdal Bavel, where the people are seeing themselves. Where the people are seeking self ambition. That's where Torah Shema'al begins. That's the bilbul. That's the darkness of, of Talmud Bavli. It's seated in, in, in Migdal Bavel. And the Esav, that's right, the Esav who goes out and dominates. The Esav, the warrior. The Esav, the one who knows Sa'id. The Esav who wears the clothing of Adam Harishon. That's Talmud Torah Shema'al as well. In short, the suggestion over here is that clothing, which if anything in my mind, beginning the class, beginning the conversation, should represent not truth. Clothing is humanistic. Animals don't wear clothing. I mean, I guess unless you're in Sefer Yonah when they... What's that? Dog clothing, I suppose. So, all right. Generally speaking, animals on their own don't wear clothing. Let's say it like that. Clothing is human. That's what clothing is by definition. We make clothing for ourselves. We make clothing to present ourselves. That's not truth. It's anything but the truth. And I named the class Clothing of Truth because clothing, not that they are the embodiment of truth, but it's only through the, quote, clothing that we... We, as human beings, can find truth to believe and to envision a world will f- in which emet is just rampant and you could just live a world of emet is to envision that world, that, that city
city of Kushta, if you recall, the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin, to walk into a city where everyone just says the truth all the time. If everybody says the truth all the time, well, we're not going to be leading ourselves anywhere constructively because we need to tell lies to one another because we are human beings. Clothing, in turn, is the manifestation of humanity and acting as human beings who have segments of time and of place where we tap into a structure of emet and sheker, where we in turn inflect and reflect through the words of emet and sheker, through the experiences of emet and sheker, in our own eyes, through our own life, with our own capabilities, it's then and only then that I believe we will actually find the emet of Torah, the avodah and shemirah of the Gan.